0: Hey listen to this statement. Some things are true, some things are false. Is that true or false? (laughs) It's true, especially in all areas, especially in the area of spiritual uh, um, convictions. When it comes to talk about God and man and eternity, uh, some things are true and some beliefs are absolutely false. So for instance, What would you say about these spiritual beliefs? Are they true or false? God is love, therefore. He would never have a place called hell. Is that true or false? Okay, there you go. How about this one? Man is basically good. He makes mistakes from time to time, but he is not a sinner. Is that true or false? How about this one? Marriage is a bond of love between... Any two people, regardless of gender, is that true or false? Apparently, there are no members of the Supreme Court here with us tonight. How about this one? The Bible is written by men. Therefore, it is filled with errors. Is that true or false? Jesus was a good teacher, but certainly not God. True or false? Jesus meant well, but he cannot save you. You have to save yourself by doing a sufficient number of good deeds. Is that true or false? So you can see, when it comes to spiritual things, uh, some things are simply true and some things are just as clearly false. Paul, the writer of Romans, by the way, we're in Romans tonight. Next week, we won't be because we're having a special event called For Zion's Sake. Uh, Marty Getz, who's just a brilliant singer and songwriter, will be with us. And one of our main contacts in Israel, Moran Rosenblatt, will be here with his family to share with us things about what's happening in Israel. That's next week. Then the week after, we will finish Romans. So tonight, one more uh, night, and it will total about 62 Wednesday nights in Romans. And then, Lord willing, after that, we're going to dive into proverbs. I didn't ask you about it because I I want to do it. So, it'll grow on you. Proverbs an entirely different kind of experience than the one we've had in Romans. But okay. So Paul, you know, of course, is the writer of Romans and he so loved those people, the Roman believers that he was very concerned about what they believed. You see what I mean? That's a a manifestation of love. And so he wanted them to accept that which is true and to identify and reject that which is false. In fact, he was so concerned about this that he said this in Romans chapter 16, verse 17. That's where we are, Romans 16, verse 17. He said, now I urge you, brethren, can you see the note of seriousness and sincerity here. I mean, he urges them as, not as a stranger, but as family members, brethren. They're not literally blood relatives, but they might as well be because they've been joined together by common faith in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking to them as a family member to other family members, and he wants them to do something. And what is it? Here it is. Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned." Can you see that last phrase, the teaching which you learned? That implies something quite significant. It implies that even at this very early stage in the life of the church, first century, there was a body of teaching, another word for teaching is doctrine, There was a a body of teaching or doctrine which was considered to be normative and the standard by which all teaching must be evaluated. Even then, Paul speaks about a teaching which they learned from the apostles, which is the standard by which we judge the truthfulness or falsity of all other teaching. The authoritative teaching or doctrine of the church was that which was given by God through the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament, people like Paul. And this teaching, the teaching of what we refer to as as the Bible, is the standard by which all other teaching about spiritual matters must be evaluated. So what does all this mean for us? It means that no matter how persuasive or attractive or spiritual someone's teaching may sound or seem, it has to be judged by, these are Paul's words, the teaching which you have learned, in other words, the Bible. We cannot accept someone's teaching uh, based on the mere fact that that person has a sense of humor, is likable, has a good personality, is very dynamic and uses a lot of Bible verses. By the way, so too does the evil one, only out of context. So there has to be another means by which we can distinguish truth from error. And Paul says, it is the teaching which you learned. It it, it is the Bible. And so Paul says, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. So, so this leads to this question. Why does Paul mess around and bring this up here? In the prior verses, we looked at it last week, the first 16, it was so pleasant and positive. By name, he's greeting over 26 people. He knew them. He had quite a relationship with them. And in that a assemblage of people who Paul greets. Remember we mentioned there were Jews and Gentiles, and there were males and females, and there were slaves and free, and it was such a wonderful atmosphere. And now he seems to be, why is he bringing up all this stuff about false teachers? Well, I'll tell you why. Paul knew perhaps better than we that a church is most vulnerable when its members are devoted, dedicated, and are experiencing Uh, unity and harmony. It's then when they are most subject to being targeted by the evil one. And so Paul is anticipating, because you people in Rome are doing so good, that's a wonderful, uh, 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 pleasant thing for the Lord, but an antagonistic thing for the evil one. And so he says, watch out, because you're vulnerable at this particular time more than at any time. And he says, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. You know, uh, see that phrase, keep your eye in the Greek. uh, It comes from a word sounding like scope. It's essentially, you know what it says, scope them out. That's essentially what what Paul says, scope out. These always be on the lookout, be aware, be alert for people with this particular tendency. Now, who are these people to be scoped out? Paul refers to them as those who cause dissensions. So one of the characteristics of this brand of false teaching, these people, is that they cause uh, division in the body. You know how they do it? They obligate people to choose sides. That's what they do. They obligate people to choose sides in areas where we Christians really are free to disagree agreeably. But they say, no, no, no. You have to choose your position as over against Uh, the position or conviction of others in areas of the non-essentials. So, folks, there are some matters of Christian belief that we cannot put up for grabs. They they are non-negotiable. For instance, if I told you the divinity and humanity of Christ is left up for grabs, think what you like. Is that right? That is not right. If I told you the Bible contains truth in parts but is not really all truth, not all inspired by God, would you think that's okay? Yeah. If I told you, though Jesus died on the cross for our sin, what he did was not sufficient, we have to add to it in various ways. Would you like that? So can you see certain Uh, Parts of our faith are non-negotiable, but there are many other points of doctrine where we Christians, I hope, are flexible enough to allow difference of opinion. For instance, when it comes to future things, listen to me, we know the Lord Jesus is coming again. We know that. We know there's only two options with regard to people's destiny. One is to be forever with God. Good night. That's blissful. That's heaven. The other is to be forever separated from God. That's hellish, for crying out loud, to be separated from the one, the only one who can meet our needs, to go through eternity with unmet needs. Good night. That's hell. So there are certain points of doctrine we we cannot differ on this so blatantly clear in the Bible. But when it comes to the timing of events and all the rest, I, I, I suppose we, we, we could kindly differ from one another. How about, how about matters of church government? Do you know there are very good churches, as we like to think we are, uh, who are pursuing God, who do what's called church polity, the governance of the church, differently than we do. I mean, we were free to differ about these particular... What about the spiritual gifts? I have an opinion about the gifts that I'm just thrilled to share at the drop of a hat. Um, and maybe yours differs from mine. That's okay. You know, that's just the way... We're all members of the family. We don't have these things. How about this one? How does divine sovereignty and human responsibility, how do they both come to play with respect to the matter of salvation. Now, I'll tell you what divisive people do. They say you have to choose. And you get to, so we have these two camps. One is called the Calvinistic camp, and the other is called the Arminian camp. So the Arminian camp um, is, is uh, very focused on human responsibility. You choose to accept Christ or not. And the Calvinistic camp is very focused on God's divine sovereignty in in it all. And this camp would say, no, 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 you can't just wake up one morning and make the decision to accept Christ. You're dead. You're spiritually dead. And you need the, uh, it's called prevenient grace of God, the grace of God which precedes even the grace of the gospel to sort of convict you of sin and judgment and righteousness to enable you to respond to the gospel. But those are two different things. Which is it? Did Christ save you or did you choose to be saved? And you just, and I have to tell you, uh, a, a divisive uh, approach to this is to say which of the two. Mine is to say, don't, don't I refuse to choose sides. They both come into play. How? I don't know. But when these two seemingly uh, uh, inconsistent, uh, concepts merge in the infinite mind of God. He can bring harmony out of it. That's why we bow before Him and worship. But you see, see the divisive camp. Are are you a Calvinist or are you an Arminian? Oh my God! Ca- John Calvin would turn over in his grave. He's not there. He's in heaven now. Um, but 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 he would hate to have a school of thought named. Named after him, so too Jacobus Arminius. That was his name for crying out loud. I hate it when people say, choose sides. I would like to say, oh, my goodness, that this is the magnificence of God. He can harmonize these two seemingly unharmonizable concepts in the mind of God. Don't force me to decide. They both come into play, human responsibility and divine sovereignty. Anyway, false teachers say, no, choose sides. You know what else they do? Now forget about doctrine for a second. False teachers say, in matters of what I think are Christian liberty, you don't have liberty. You have to make a choice. So, for instance, when it comes to preferred Bible translations, now, don't misunderstand. I know we have some real inferior Bible translations. But to me, we have at least a half dozen of really, really good, legitimate, at least a half dozen really good, legitimate Bible translations. I have chosen one, you have perhaps chosen a, a, another. I think that I mean, we're free to do that. Just read one of them. You know, that would be really nice. That, just read one of them from cover. But there are some who say, absolutely not. This is the only one. It's a very divisive, not only it's divisive, it's academically insupportable for crying out loud. But anyway, Bible trends, how about this? Church attire. Church attire. You mean some people have a more. Uh, Uh, dignified, formal preference for uh, attendance at church. To me, there's nothing wrong with it. Others of us don't. So we just just like to wear things that cover the love handles. That's our fashion preference. You know what I'm saying? So look... Folks, these are matters of Christian liberty. Do you know there are some in some churches who actually come up with theologies of attire, which is right, which is wrong? Now, we all agree you should not wear stuff that calls, calls undue attention to you and distracts people from the worship of Almighty God. We understand that. Uh so you should dress in a discreet way in coming to church and, and all over. But, but, but we ought to be free in matters of attire. How about this one? Uh, Worship styles. Do you know churches are splitting all over the country over this stuff? You know what I mean? And we're we're, we're actually grading, we're, we're evaluating the spirituality of certain worship styles on the basis, really, when you think about it, of whether we like it or not. Why don't we just fess up and say, I like certain music. I don't like other kinds. I mean, this is legitimate. No problem. But when you force people to choose sides, you know, by, 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 by causing a, a, a protest or a, a potential division in the church, oh, my, that's what Paul is talking about. He's saying, scope out those people. You know what they're doing? They're elevating personal standards to the level of biblical standards. That's what false teaching is. Doesn't mean you can't have personal standards, but when you elevate it to the level of a biblical standard, then you're missing the point entirely. How about this one? Holiday observances. You know, some people are, it gets around Christmas. They hate it. They, you know, it's pagan holiday and all this kind of stuff. No Christmas trees and all. Uh, I mean, others have a different point of view. It's a matter of Christian liberty, how you live out the holidays, Christmas, Easter, and those things. You work it out before God. But some people don't feel that way. I, I, knew, I, I knew a couple who left this church, for crying out loud, on Christmas time because they saw the Christmas tree, by the way, so beautifully Decorated uh, over here. Now, I agree with them a little bit. A few Hanukkah bushes wouldn't kill us. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> a little equal time. But, but seriously, to make, to make an issue over these things is to sort of miss the point. How about schooling options? This is one that really is it public school, private school, or homeschool? You know, people, some people are ready to go to war over that. They call you a bad parent if you're not homeschooling your kids. <laughs> It's a personal, it's is a matter of the family has to work it out. You don't want to divide over stuff like that. How about tattoos? How you doing, guys? <laughs> I mean, there are people who are just, they're, they're demonizing the tattoo. First of all, they're wrenching out of context a passage in Leviticus that doesn't have any application to tattoos today. No, it's, it's not my particular choice to tell you the truth. I'll tell you why. I'm getting old. My skin is getting wrinkly. How good would a tattoo look? You know what I'm saying? Maybe 20 years ago, but now. So for me, it's just a matter of personal prayer. That's the idea, to erect a barrier over something as, as, a, as subsidiary as that. It's just not the main thing. But Paul is saying, watch out for false teachers. Here's the characteristic. They cause dissension. They cause division. They make you make a choice on these particular things. So one of the distinguishing marks of false teachers in a church is the tendency to cause division. Paul says, keep your eye on those people who cause dissensions and not only that, hindrances, hindrances, it says, or obstacles. Um, interestingly, uh, the word there for hindrance or obstacle, listen to this word, scandalon. What does that sound like? Scandal. You know what Paul is saying? That, you know what these people do? They teach that which is scandalous. yeah. What's scandalous about it? Here's what they do. Uh, They erect barriers keeping people from free access to the throne of grace. Uh, The Lord Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. The writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. So that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. But the scandalous false teachers say, who do you think you are? I know you call yourself a Christian. And they keep adding to the list of things we need to do, all manner of things in order to truly demonstrate we are a true Christian. Folks, that's a cult-like mentality. And they act like they're interested in your well-being, but they're really out to control you, rob you of freedom for crying out loud. And so Paul says, be careful, They're setting up obstacles in the way of your free access to the throne of grace. Jesus made the way, for crying out loud, and they erect all these things. You have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to stand up, and you have to sit down, and you have to memorize, and you have to fast, and you have to have, you have to. You have to do nothing to be adopted into the family of God except to ask God to do so. Oh, God, would you please accept me, a sinner, into your family based on, on the finished work of your son, your only begotten son. Would you make me flawed though I am, sinful though I am? A son, uh, through my faith in the sacrifice of your only begotten son. And the father says, are you kidding? Glad to. Welcome on board. Welcome into the family. And when you're a member of the family, you you don't need to make an appointment with it. You know what? Think about this. Imagine God sitting in this magnificent uh, paneled uh, conference room, big old conference table with them important people sitting around the table, you know, and, and you, just, you just push open, that's exactly, you just push open the doors, you know what I mean, and, uh, and you just charge, everyone is, a, is shocked and appalled, who are you, and you just charge up and sit on the lap of the one seated at the head of the table, and these people have no idea what gave you the right to have such access, and they realize you're sitting on your Abba Father's lap. You're sitting on daddy's lap. Uh, Jesus removed all obstacles. It's scandalous for people to put obstacles in the path of those who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and simply want to charge into the throne room to find grace to help in time of need. And so Paul says, watch out for these people. And then he says something that may surprise you. He says, after you've identified them, you are to, this is what he says, turn away from them. Wow. Turn away from them. Isn't that interesting? He does not say to debate them. Interesting. He says to separate from them. Why? Because the worst thing you can do is to give false teachers a platform. That's the worst thing you can do. Listen, earlier in Romans, Paul said to us, you ought to be kind and gentle and gracious and patient with the weaker brother. The Christian, who doesn't feel the freedom, the liberty to maybe uh, do the kinds of things you do? Paul says, I encourage you not to cause that weaker brother to stumble. Stay in relationship, help that weaker brother to grow. Be kind, be loving, be patient. But when it comes to false teachers, he didn't say anything like that. He says, shun them. I didn't say that. He's saying that. Now, this is tough for us because we Christians are all into this love thing we sang it earlier, oh, God, I want to learn to love the way you love. We've been, you know, part of God's love is a protective love, not a pampering love. And one of the ways to be protected from false teachers is to put space between you and them. So, that's what Paul says. He says, turn away from them. Now, we can learn something about how false teachers operate. So, the text says, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. Now, do you see this word? Contrary to the teaching which you learned. Contrary. When you think of the word contrary, you, t- you think of maybe two people who are opposed to one another. But the word actually in the Greek, listen to this, para, P-A-R-A, like from parallel, para. What does that mean? If two people are parallel, it means they're walking down the road together alongside one another they're in close proximity to lines to people that are parallel are side by side and in close proximity that's the word used here for contrary and this explains to us why it takes some doing to recognize false teaching from that which is true why because false teachers in their teaching they come right alongside truth and it looks ever so close you know they're right in the neighborhood oh, you know, they're in close proximity to truth. They're sharing Bible verses and all their, and they're, you know, all this kind of, so it takes a measure of discernment to distinguish truth from error. And do you know whose responsibility it is to exercise that discernment? According to this text, yours and mine and ours. Sadly, I don't want to be offensive, but I think I'm going to be. Most church people, maybe even here, put the onus of responsibility on the staff. But Paul is saying, no way. You have got to become so familiar with truth that you quickly can have discernment when you see something running parallel along the same lines as truth. You have enough discernment in order to distinguish truth from error. I must tell you, every once in a while, it's shocking to me. How many, even in our own midst, buy into something that is blatantly contrary to scripture. Well, but it makes me feel good, and it makes me happy, and there's lots of Bible verses in it. One of the mark of false teachers is to use lots of Bible verses wrenched out of context. It's not enough to j- use Bible verses. And so this is an insight into, into why false teacher, uh, teaching is so hard to discern. It runs right alongside parallel truth. takes discernment to distinguish it from the truth. And So Paul urges believers in Rome to do two things with reference to false teachers. One, keep your eyes out for them. Two, keep away from them. And then Paul says in verse 18, for such men are slaves... Not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. So Paul has the audacity here to actually impugn their motives. Yeah, he knew this. They strongly declare that their purpose is to serve the interest of Christ, but Paul says that simply is not their true motive. They are self-centered. Their motive is to cater to their own appetites. But here's the problem. They're very smooth talkers. Therefore, they can easily fool believers. And so it says here by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. They deceive. A lady the other day who who I know um, was filling up uh, at a gas station getting gas, and she left her purse there, door open. She was on the cell phone at the time. a guy just came there quickly, opened the door, took her purse, and off he went. But thank God he didn't hurt her. I mean, what's in the purse can be replaced, but it surely ruined her day. You know what happened? She was entirely unsuspecting. She was distracted. She was unsuspecting. It was broad daylight. There were other people around. And Paul says, from a spiritual point of view, those who are unsuspecting are, are, are really subject to falling prey to the smooth and flattering talk of smooth talking false teachers. So, so how can we uh, decrease the uh, probability of being victimized? Um, we can read the Bible. <laughs> Wish I had something more profound. <laughs> but that's it. See, the, 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 the best way to protect yourself from false teaching is to be acquainted with the, um, with the genuine article then you can see when something is counterfeit. So let me shame you just a little bit, if you don't mind. I bet you most here are reading more books than they are reading the book. I'll bet you. And I know why. It's a lot easier to read books. (laughs) Because did you know God's truth doesn't come cheaply? He wants to see if we're serious enough about mining the treasures of the Bible. Why would he waste the treasures of the Bible on those of us who are not taking it seriously? But other books are just there for the reading. Got nice illustrations and all this kind of stuff. Make you feel good. You know, many of you read devotional books. Some are good, some stink. But it's very, very easy to read what someone has already gotten out of the Bible for you. You know what that's like? <clears throat> that's you being served a meal... But it's too much effort to chew on it. So someone sitting next to you uh, chews up your food, spits it back out on your plate, and then you eat it. That's what, that's what it is to depend on devotional books. I didn't say you shouldn't read them. But if, but if you're using them as a substitute, I've mean, I, I got to tell you something. You know, if I wake up in the morning and where I happen to be in my reading program, let's just say, is Leviticus. Let me tell you something, folks. That's some hard chewing. Too bad. It's God's book. You get better at chewing and assimilating and digesting for crying out loud. So, the best way to protect yourself from being victimized from false teaching is to know the Word of God. Read it. Now, Paul says in verse 19, You know, the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I'm rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what's good and innocent in what's evil. Paul says, you're doing well, Roman Christians. But because you're doing well, because you have a desire to obey God, to follow Christ, to bring glory to his name, and to spread the good news around the world, because all that's true of you, you are going to be a target of false teachers bringing false teaching. Why is that? It's because Satan is the one who's behind all false teaching. Hence, he's labeled in the Bible, the father of, Of lies. He's behind false teaching. And listen, God is pleased when people, I hope like us, submit to him, yield to him, love him, and devote ourselves to him. But it angers the evil one. And so in a very subtle way, you know what he does? He doesn't send false teachers into church necessarily. He raises them up from our midst. (laughs) I have to tell you this right from our midst. And that way, we're not on our guard. You see what I mean? It's a likable person. I've known this person. This person uses Bible verses. This person prays. This person is always in church. I got all that, but it's irrelevant. Is what that person teaching, is it consistent with the teaching you have received? That is the Bible, Old and New Testament. And so Paul says, be careful. He says, be wise in what's good. In the context, I think he means get to know the good book. <laughs> and innocent in what is evil. Have nothing to do with false teaching. No one tell you something. Um, you can become an expert on a, on a school of false teaching, let's say a cult. You can become an expert. And three days later, Satan can raise up a hundred to take its place. In other words, it's like a deep dark hole whole, you can never get out of, if your focus is on the counterfeits. It ought to be on what's good, the good book, the Bible, and that way you'll be able to discern whether something is a counterfeit. Now, some here are called to really study an aberrant theology, maybe because you have a child in it, a next-door neighbor who you're witnessing to, or you're teaching a class on it. I got all that. But aside from those reasons, I'm telling you to immerse yourself in that which is false will not do you as much good as immersing yourself in that which is good and true. And as a result, you'll be able to recognize that which is false. Now, folks, we're in a battle. uh, And it's in a battle for truth. And at times, it's very fierce and stressful. Uh, In fact, it's very difficult to be on guard (laughs) with reference to false teachers and their teaching. And so here is encouraging news with which we end. Verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You say, whoa, what kind of God of peace is that? We don't understand. We don't understand God. You know what? Satan by false teachers bringing false doctrines cause division Dissension, disharmony, and disruption in God's churches. The God of peace will not have this. And so he will deal with the source of the disruption, that's Satan. And so the text says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. Does your Bible say that? It should not say that. And the God of peace... Will soon crush Satan under his feet. Look carefully. Does your Bible say that? What does it say? You see why you gotta read the Bible slowly, every word? You would expect it to say under his feet. I would expect that. He's the victor, he's the triumphant savior. Satan is no match for him. He has every right to come into his glory by defeating Satan. We would have expected this phrase to say that God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. And therefore, when it says under your feet, it ought to just smack you in the head, slow you down, and make you think, what? Now, that's the art of reading the Bible. Slow down. Notice what it says. Under your feet? Yes. You know what our victorious Savior is saying? Because I love you, I am graciously including you who I have saved in my ultimate victory over the one who tells lies. I'm going to give you the role of crushing Satan under your feet. It's a biblical sort of a metaphor. Conquering uh, folks would put their feet on the neck of a defeated king. And God is saying, I'm going to let you get in on that. He's caused turmoil. He's lied to you. He's a deceiver, and he's your adversary. He's your enemy. He mobilizes an army of those who antagonize you, distract you, tempt you. And impose false teaching upon you. But he's the source of it all. He's the reason for all that's going on in the world today. Oh, you're sinners for sure. But good night. Can he play into your sin nature. And bring out the worst in humankind. He's a destroyer, not a deliverer. He's behind all the horrific things that are going on in the world today. And there will be a day when I will let you share an ultimate victory over him. I will crush him under your feet <clears throat> will share in the victory and Paul's final words in this verse are the grace of our lord jesus be with you it's tough going we're in a battle for truth it's warfare <laughs> but god says just know that god's grace is with you don't listen to false teachers who add to the totality of what Christ has done on the cross by heaping undue burdens upon you. In addition to what he's done, you have to do this and you have to do that and all the rest. Who do you think you are just thinking you can crawl up on the lap of Almighty God? Who do you think you are? You have to do this and you have to do that. You're not a true Christian unless you do this, then and the other thing. Paul says, bunk, bunk. Don't buy into it. Instead, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. It's by his grace you've been saved. It's by his grace you're being sanctified. It's by his grace that you'll make it to the other side. It's by his grace that you will share in his victory over the evil one. It's by his grace. When I was a new Christian, we had this beautiful song, Marvelous Grace of our loving Lord. You know this one. Would you stand up with me just for a second cuz we're going to leave in just a second. You don't have to sit down again. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. That's what, that's what the text said. The hymn. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Grace that exceeds our sin. Sin abounds. <laughs> but where sin abounds, grace does what? Yeah, it, it superabounds. See, it overwhelms it. That's what's reflected. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's Mount. Another name for Calvary is Golgotha. One's Hebrew, one's Greek. Yonder on Calvary's Mount outpoured there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. And then the chorus goes, grace, grace, God's grace. Grace, what about it? It's greater. That will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Watch out for false teaching uh, 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 coming from smooth and flattering individuals who, number one, deny that you have sinned. No, you haven't, and you have plenty of it. But don't worry about it. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, you see. And then watch out for those who say the grace of Almighty God is insufficient, You have to work really, really hard at being in good stead with all my scandalous teaching. No, 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 no. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Let's sing, sing that with me, would you? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, Grace that is greater than all our sin. Lord Jesus, that's why we praise you. For where our sin abounds, and it does, your grace superabounds. And where we are unfaithful, and we are, you remain faithful. And where there are people putting obstacles in our means of access to you, you say, Come, come, all. Oh who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you a lecture. No, I will give you rest. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ go with you. That's what Paul says, Lord Jesus. And there are folks who will rob us of the glorious experience of being basked in the sunlight of your grace. Give us discernment so as not to let it happen. For if you have saved us and you have, we are saved to the uttermost. We're grateful, Lord Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.